What is up, Fight Fam? From the ever-beautiful City of Angels, this is Cage Free Chicks, a combat sports-centered podcast by women, about women, and for everyone, where we take a look into the world of combat sports through the female lens and discuss how martial arts have helped shape some of the toughest women on the planet. As always, we're your favorite Cage Free Chicks, Nadia and Michelle. In this episode, we are joined by Mark Raimondi, Deputy Managing Editor at MMAFighting.com and a good friend of ours. With Mark, we focus our lens on the landscape of MMA, touching upon topics of its inception, evolution as a platform of sports entertainment, and discuss the effects of its arguably biggest star, Ronda Rousey. We talk about the similarities and differences between the magnitude of Ronda's spotlight versus her predecessors like Gina Carano and Chris Cyborg. We also touch upon the innate connection between fighting and pro wrestling, as well as muse on the general realities of what it means to be a star in combat sports. Enjoy! We're sitting here live with Mark Raimondi, the wonderful, beautiful, amazing. I think you may have the wrong guy. And quite honestly, deputy. I think it's disrespectful to the level of work I that you're doing. I didn't even get a badge. MMA three years in a row, MMA, uh, World MMA Awards Media Source of the Year. Three years running. I think I, t- I, I told you this, but I'll just say it again for our listening audience. It's literally my like go-to place. Is it, your home, is it your home page? It's not my home page because I don't have a home page. Mm. But if I did, I have like a thing that shows different landscapes. Very peaceful. Largely to do with your interface. It's very beautiful. Very easy to look at. Um, easy on the eyes. Not a lot of ads. You mean all of Esterlin's bloody photos? Oh, easy on the Esther- eyes. <laughs> don't get us started. Yes. <laughs> well, but let us get us started on you. Yeah. Because today is about you. Oh. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. But as you know, this podcast is about gathering the female perspective on the fight world. And so who better to have than me, right? Who better to have than a male? <laughs> than a white American. <laughs> male is that how you choose to identify white american male cisgender yeah cisgender okay okay perfect yeah. perfect just for everybody to know um in the actual like landscape of mma journalism you are just always at the top you have been around since basically the whole ufc in the mainstream bubble pop in 2013 sort of i, I would say i i start i first started writing about mma in 2012 for the new york post that was when i first started so i would say that's probably the beginning of this new era so I kind of I kind of miss like the late aughts where it was like the Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. I didn't I wasn't writing about MMA then. I was I was watching it and following it. So I, but I kind of missed that as far as journalism goes. And I, yeah, I started about 2012, right before like this new Rousey McGregor era. I, I like to loop those two in together. It was kind of like the tail end of like the GSP Anderson Silva mm. type type era. Yeah. What made you? You said that you had you had already been following MMA. Um, oh yeah, forever. as a fan, forever. I, yeah, and what what made you decide to actually start writing and putting pen to paper, if you will? Good question. I mean, I I've been a sports journalist since college. I, I graduated with a journalism degree from St. John's University in Queens, New York. By 100%. the way, St. John's basketball Shout out Queens. going to March Madness, <laughs> going to the NCAA tournament. Shout out to the Red Storm. So I, st- I, I was a journalist then. I didn't really think I was always I was always a fan of MMA going back to like the early UFCs where there were no rules and it was fantastic. Amazing. Like Beautiful. I used to watch with my dad, like we used to get like the VHS tapes from Blockbuster and then he had like on on the DL he had like an illegal cable box and we were able to watch pay per views for free. Honestly, <laughs> don't tell anyone about this. All these years later, somebody might actually come back. So it was great. It was it was a chance for me and him to to bond together over a shared love of violence. So that was cool. So I've been watching it forever, going back to the Hoist Gracie, Ken Shamrock, you know, Dan Severin. Those, Beautiful days. Those days, yeah. Such good times. So as far as deciding when I was going to start writing about it, it was it was kind of in that time period where my, my first job out of school was just a weekly newspaper covering like high school and local college stuff, kind of like the regular entry-level job for sports journalism making like making like nothing you know? just rolling in the dough yeah no making, <laughs> making <laughs> nothing still yeah. living at home with yeah. my mom you know it's just not not making any money and then we started uh me and me and some friends uh, started a high school sports website in new york did that for a year the new york post hired us all to run their high school sports section so i did that for a few years and then i think it was in 2010 no 2011 somewhere around there where i got promoted to an online editor role for sports at the New York Post and nypost.com. And while I was there, I noticed that there was really no coverage of MMA. And I saw that it was starting to get more interesting as far as the stories and, and the things that are going on in the news and the 
celebrity of it. Uh, so I volunteered and I pitched in my spare time to do like a, an MMA blog for MMA po- for uh, NYPost.com. And they let me do it. And it was, you know, didn't cost them anything because I was already a full-time employee. Right. And I did it yeah. in my spare time. Just added more work to your plate. Yeah, exactly. It was, <laughs> it was just more work. But that's that's how it goes. Seems and like then, it paid off in the end. Yeah, it paid off. That, uh, absolutely, absolutely. So then at some, at some point, I forget when it was, um, I was actually at a fight as a fan. And I was tweeting about the fight. And Dave Schaller, who was the head of PR for the UFC. Stone cold Dave Schaller. <laughs> Dave Schaller. <laughs> Yeah, he he noticed that I was somehow he had seen my tweets about UFC, saw that I worked yes. at the New York Post and reached out to me. And that started a, a dialogue and a relationship between me and him and UFC PR. And then they would start to, uh, you know, put me on lists for credentials and for like interviews. Like um, so I was able to I mean, because they, they I guess they figured it's coverage in the New York Post in some respect. So I was uh, interviewing a bunch of different fighters and I was able to get some even stuff in the, in the actual paper, which was What were your hard. bosses at the New York Post? What did they think of all this? So they did were, they care at all? That, no, like, like, I mean, oh, some fighting thing. Yeah, initially, no, but I was able to get some good stories in the paper. Like if I had like a really good story, like I wrote about like Court McGee once before one of his fights about his heroin overdose and everything. And I interviewed him and yeah. it was a good story. And I pitched it to the paper and they were like, yeah, I mean, that's- Human interest. It's human interest. <laughs> yeah. so, so I was able to get a, a few of those things in. I wrote about like John Vellante because he was local. He was from Long Island. It kind of grew from there. And I was able to get a big story about Chris Weidman in the paper before his fight with Anderson Silva, the first oh, one. Oh, damn. That's a amazing yeah. time. Like, from, from everything you're saying, it's like the universe just keeps putting you at these like beginnings, like epic beginnings right Maybe. before <laughs> I don't know. Bang. Maybe. I, I wrote about Nick Newell. They actually gave me almost a full page in the paper for Ooh. a story about Nick wow. Newell. I, I drove up to his gym in Connecticut because mm-hmm. we only met maybe yeah. an hour away. They even sent a photographer to New York Post to, to shoot him. So it was like a, almost like a full page about Nick Newell in the New York Post, which at that time they were not covering It's MMA. some sort of attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, like, I was one of the first people to really write about MMA for the New York Post. So, uh, I mean, they had uh, George Willis is their boxing writer and he did it a little bit in his, in, in, you know, when he wasn't doing boxing, but as far as that kind of stuff, um, yeah. I mean, so that was cool. I had the big thing on Weidman. And then that was also around the same time that Ronda Rousey was getting big. And uh, I had, uh, this is actually a funny story. So I pitched a story to the New York Post about Ronda Rousey for the first fight. Yeah. So that was February, 2013. Yeah. yeah. Before her fight with Liz Carmouche shut in in Anaheim, I, think I don't think like I've ever told this story before. From, what's what's today's date? Today's the 18th. So it was like a few days. So six years ago. Yeah, almost yeah. Like to the day. Twenty third, right? Yeah, twenty third or something like that. Man, I, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly before. So <laughs> yes, sorry. So, uh, Exclusive. <laughs> I pitched this story to the New York Post. First women's fight ever in the UFC. Ronda Rousey. She's becoming more and more well known. She's on the cover of ESPN. Body, Body issue. issue. Yeah, we don't forget. Of nobody course. Will, no, yeah. And that was, I think, the maybe the year before or something like that, where mm-hmm. she was on body, the cover of the body issue. She was still in Strike Force, right? She time? was still in Strike Force when she was in the body issue. So I pitched the story. They said, yes, absolutely. And they brought it to the editor in chief of the paper because it was going to be in the paper. And the editor in chief of the time was, they brought him all the information about the story because there's like, there's like a, a morning meeting every yeah. day at the New York Post. Right. What's going to go where? What's in the paper today? And how, you know, where are they going to place it? So they showed him the picture of the cover of the body issue because they had it in the office. Right. They had like a bunch of like magazines yeah. like on yeah. file in the office. So he wa- he liked the idea of the story, but he wanted that exact photo well, with the hard story. Hard to argue with wanting that. He wanted that photo or bust. No way they're going to give it to him. So we're trying to figure out like, so there's a photo department in, in the New York Post, of course, yeah. who deals with all that stuff. And they were reaching out all day to find like the ESPN photographer or the freelance photographer who yeah. took that photo. And they found this person. But, and again, this is like the day before the fight that it was oh, going to run. So, so I, like I already did the, like I did the interview down. already. Yeah. I did the interview. Um, the story was, I think it was already written. It was just, a, it was, there was the day of weigh-ins. So the story was written. I was just waiting for her to weigh in. And then I would follow the story. With that up- updated information so it's getting to be like afternoon and don't forget i mean this is, this is a newspaper so yeah. there are deadlines and the paper goes to bed at a certain time so all day the, the photo department is trying to find this this espn photographer so we can get that particular photo we can we can buy it from them to use the the plan was going to be the story was going to run in sports it's going to be like a big almost page story in sports 
but it was going to be, that photo was going to be on page three Ooh. of the New York Post. So the first thing that you open on that day was going Would to be, be a Ronda. photo of Ronda Rousey. And that's what, and that's the photo that this man wanted, the editor-in-chief. Wait, which, which one was that specifically? It was the photo, it was the photo of her not wearing, like not wearing a bra with like the, her shoes, she's <gasps> covering up her, her chest iconic. with like the, yes. sure, iconic. So he he wanted that one, or we weren't gonna do it. It was it would have run like on the web, but it wouldn't have run in the paper. So, so you're like fingers crossed. So right? I'm like we losing like yeah. I mean it's a, I mean it's a big story. I, you know, I, it, it'll be a page three like refer into the sports section. It's a big deal for me, and I thought it was a big deal for MMA. You know, for the sport. Absolutely. So they found the they found the photographer with ESPN, and the photographer said, "I'll sell you the photo," but apparently there was like a written thing in this photo shoot that Rhonda herself had to release a photo to be sold because they were they were sensitive photos yeah. which is understandable they could only sell the photo to the new york post with written permission from ronda rousey herself remember what day this this is the day of weigh-ins <laughs> so she's cutting she weight to deal with is like so she's did. cutting weight <laughs> so now i'm like so now it's on me again to go and to go and find well how the hell <laughs> am i going to like, how do, do you this. ask how do you that conversation? That, yeah. you know? So I was working with UFC PR and I was working with her publicist at the time and her manager at the time. And it was just crazy because they're like, Rhonda's cutting weight. Like, I'm not going to bring, I can't bring this to <laughs> her now. She can't type on a laptop like, and impact Like, she's not like, oh, how, like how, am I, and I, I understand what, like, it's oh not their God. fault. And I was like, listen, the editor in chief will not run this freaking story, which is great promotion for the UFC. So yeah. they, I mean, the UFC PR, I think I was, I worked with uh, Ryan Grab on that story, who is now with Bellator. So they were scrambling. Her publicist was scrambling, who had a good relationship with at the time. And uh, her manager, her old manager, Darren Harvey, were scrambling. And I mean, I, I can't really blame them because it was it's just pretty much the worst time. Yeah, ever. yeah. She's cutting weight, yeah. and then and she was and then she was like stuck in traffic, I think, to get to the Honda Center because she, you know, she was coming from LA, I think. Right. They weren't able to get in front of her really with this yeah. request until after weigh-ins, and it's West Coast, and we're in New York, so the weigh-ins oh, are four no. o'clock local, which is seven o'clock New York time. Paper's got to go to bed. This right? is so cinematic. Paper, is paper has to go to bed. And we had no permission to use that photo. And guess what? The editor-in-chief said, no, all right, no photo. We're not running the story. So in the first edition of the New York Post that goes out, you know, it's like the early edition that goes out to like the local areas like Manhattan and the boroughs. Yeah. It had something completely different in that spot. No Ronda Rousey story in the paper at all. So yeah. now I'm trying to scramble for like the next edition, the one that goes out like wide to everyone. And I'm still on the phone. I'm on the phone with them. And like, it's just, it's just very stressful on all, on all sides. Um, on top of your other duties as yeah, a journalist. This is even like, yeah, this isn't <laughs> even like my job. It's just something extra that I'm, that I'm trying to do. So finally, her publicist, Toronto's publicist, is able to get that in front of her. And she wrote like a written email to us that we can give to the photographer saying, hey, here's the written, you know, release of yeah. the photo. And she's actually, I think she even like wrote like an apology to the editor-in-chief too, which didn't even need to do that because he was, you know, it was just a crazy, crazy thing. And it, it got released and just in time for the late edition, the final edition of the paper. Hooray. And the next morning there it was on page three, photo of Ronda Rousey from the body issue. And then a big like page long story in sports about the first women's fight ever in US history. And That's it was just so epic, so stressful. But I was like, so that literally was on my refrigerator from that day until the day that I moved to LA. I lived in Queens and I was on my fridge from... 2013 until, well, I guess I left, I left in 2014. So it was not. <laughs> Seems but like, but yeah, but I, and, I, and I still have it. I have yeah, it somewhere. Yeah, you should like get it framed or something. No, That's I, like I, have cool, it, so I have it somewhere. Really cool it's, story. It's, in, it's like, in my apartment now in in, uh, in West Hollywood, yeah. It's like That's a fun amazing. little memento to kind of look back on. It's like, oh man, like all the effort crazy. that I had to go through to get this one thing. Yeah. Always staring at something great right before everyone else can see it. I, I don't know, I guess. Lucky you're timing. You're trying to push that narrative, I guess. <laughs> and, then, and then a few months after that was Jones versus Sonnen in Newark. First UFC fight that I actually was credentialed for to cover. That's a fun I, one. That seems yeah. like a very, it was, very, it was pretty a, fun one. It was a fun cover. one. And like all, all of the like media day stuff was in New York because they used to do that when the shows yeah. were in Jersey. I went to all the media day stuff. That was the first time I ever met Ariel Hawani at the media day there. The start of something amazing, that friendship. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. He's a good he's a good friend. And then it was at that media day before, I think it's UFC 159, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And it was during that media day where I said, you know what, I think I want to do this like full time. I think this is what I want. Was it just being around the action and all that sort yeah, of stuff? Yeah, I kind of saw how it was in, in at the media day and I kind of saw the lay of the land about 
you know, what everyone was doing there. And I, I was like, you know what, I think I can do this. I know I could do this very well. And I like the opportunity to do it. But at that point, I tried to start getting a job in MMA, you know, outside of the New York Post where I'm doing 700 other things. And and uh, eventually I did. I got turned down by a few outlets. I won't I won't name them. Pretty much all of them, including MMAfighting.com, turned me down. I got a job at FoxSports.com in like October or November 2013. That's when I started following your writing. 2013, yeah, 2013. Also because like you talked to me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very discerning. Well, it was you and you mentioned Dave Scholler. Yeah. He was paying attention to your tweets. And so anytime I would tweet about him, he's always like interacting. So did you notice getting into MMA? I feel like one thing that's so great about the sport, one thing I really love following it is that the community is so based online. I can't really speak for other sports. I know the NBA is also like very active online, but I feel mm -hmm. like the MMA community especially is so powerful online. And so much of the conversation is driven by comments and Instagram yeah. and Reddit and Twitter. You know, it's just so, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of audience um, participation. Do you feel like that really helped you in starting your career and keeping up the momentum? Because I know that you're super active on all your social media. That's how we know you and in a positive way, obviously. And it seems like fight fans more than maybe other sports seem much more engaged online. I would say that MMA and the UFC in particular were, was the first sport and sports league promotion, whatever, to really be driven by the internet. Even if you look now at boxing and the media that goes to boxing, it's still a lot of old media, still a lot of newspapers, magazines. Whereas if you look at MMA, I mean, yes, there's still some newspapers and some old media that covers it. The big media outlets that cover MMA are digital, are on so, the web. And that's how it's really always been in MMA. They couldn't even get old media to cover the UFC back in the day. And it's kind of kept that now. It kind of evolved because now digital media is like the media. It went from no one, the old media, not even giving UFC time of the day to now digital media is actually the king of media. So it's interesting to see how that has gone. And MMA fans have always consumed their content of their favorite sport on the internet, on the internet which absolutely. you can't say about other sports. One thing she and I were talking about is that I think almost every MMA fan can kind of relate to a few different things like watching fights by yourself or watching yep. them on your phone or watching mm -hmm. them on your computer or yeah. God forbid you ever steal it. But, you know, watching it on some stream or something like that, which I think is just you just can't really say that about other sports, yep. which I think is also probably really helpful for the sport because if you know there's still like a stigma about it like oh you watch fighting that's so mm -hmm. bizarre and so barbaric so if you're just on your phone in a corner <laughs> watching a stream or even keeping up with live twitter you know like you can actually yeah kind yeah. of know what's going on for the most part yeah and, 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 and i mean i'm sure that when you guys started watching the sport where did you go to read about it the internet. Uh, youtube that's how youtube yeah that's how i found it pride fedor yeah pride yeah i mean i still remember staying up late at night watching uh like illegal pride streams uh from japan but i mean i think that the the media has always been digital in, yeah in the MMA space and it, and it still is. Uh, I think that's that's a really interesting part of the sport because there was that audience already kind of built in. Like I remember I remember when I, yeah. I used to write about like Ronda Rousey for the for nypost.com and it would go on the website and it would instantly do like big traffic to the point where the the sports editor of the New York Post used to joke with me if there were no like MMA stories up there in terms of traffic, he'd be like, oh, there's no, nothing going on saying MMA because it would always do well because yeah. people were looking for it online. Whereas people who are NBA fans, you know, you can pick up the paper. It's of course changing now in, in 2019 compared to even, you know, when I was at the New York Post in 2012 and 2013. But if you didn't have the internet as an MMA fan, you just weren't really reading about it because it isn't like uh, papers and magazines were, yeah. were cut or TV, you know, you couldn't watch it on SportsCenter. It, that's, now what's so you can. that's what's so funny now. You now. Can. <laughs> Last night when we yeah. were watching the fights we just had espn on it was just yeah. running and yeah. then all of a sudden they're okay you know after this we're gonna go to sports center so we're watching sports center and then all of a sudden you just see ariel in jail yeah and it was, it's crazy it was right? like so surreal you know and they just threw it back to the desk and they yeah. start like, talking oh, about yeah. nba all-star yes. weekend like it's nothing and it's even, crazy in a lot of ways like you said it's kind of like going backwards in some ways in like a weird way and that mma yeah. was so online dominant and now mm -hmm. it's kind of the ufc has been fighting for so long to just get it on TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like silly. the acceptable channels, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and ESPN seems to be, they seem to mean business in terms of coverage. It was really crazy to see Ariel Helwani, my pal, and, and Shell Sonnen open up SportsCenter, the show that yeah. I literally <laughs> spent my entire childhood and adult life watching like every day. Yeah. It's, and then Shell so put crazy. his feet on the table. <laughs> I mean, Shell gonna chill. Shell gonna chill, but Shell gonna chill on ESPN. That's right. That's the crazy um, thing. I'm here, I'm here for it. I'm here for it.
It's amazing. It's it's so incredible. Well, in regards to women, you know, we're talking about mm-hmm. Rhonda and everything. Yeah. Um, you grew up watching a sport in one version, which was super male dominated. And yes, you know, there was strike force, you know, you have Cyborg, you have yeah. Cyborg, all yeah. of these female pioneers that have been on ground zero, essentially, like early 2000s, like even before that. And then all of a sudden, Rhonda shows up on scene. And it's like, retrospectively, it seems like such an overnight change. So in your perspective, how has sport changed when it's as if someone flipped the switch on and like the light turned on. I can't imagine what the UFC would look like right now if there were no women in the UFC. Yeah. I don't think it would have sold for $4 billion to Endeavor if there weren't women. I, I mean, Ronda Rousey, I think was a big reason for it. its quick growth in that period of time, certainly. She was the big star. And I still think that as far as like the mainstream goes, she is the biggest star ever in the UFC. I think that yeah. she is, she's like a household name. If you ask anyone on the street, about her. Yeah. anyone on the street, you know, Ronda Rousey is, they'll say yes. The average person, I mean, we're in LA, people know a lot about media and whatnot, yeah. but I think in the average place, if you even say like MMA or like fighting, people are like, oh, like Chuck, like right. Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey. You know, Ronda Rousey, more she's than anyone. She's up there in yeah. like a handful, a very, very small yeah. handful of names, I think. Which yeah. is- and I, even though McGregor has been kind of more of a, he's, he's drawn more money and he's yeah. drawn more pay-per-views, I think that Rousey, as far as like the mainstream star, is more well-known. And that, I think that's still, that's still the case. Do you think... Conor McGregor would be Conor McGregor if Ronda didn't knock down that kind of mainstream door? That's hard to say. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think Conor McGregor was always going to be Conor McGregor, but Rousey did kind of change in terms of the mainstream because like, I mean, Chuck Liddell used to get like acting roles and stuff like yeah. that, but nothing to the level of what Ronda did where she became, she really did become bigger than the UFC. She really yeah. did. And she's she a lot became more palatable, a bigger brand. I think, than, than some of the people before her and a lot after her. You of know. course, because I mean, look, she's an attractive woman. Yeah, yep. she's she's someone that, you know, you see Chuck Liddell come up there on like a daytime TV show and what Rocket and the Mohawk and everything. You're like, all right, this guy is a professional fighter. Yeah, Whereas right. Ronda Rousey, she comes up and she's like, oh, wow, you know. You can see her in a dress and she just looks normal. She has yeah, her hair down. She right. doesn't really necessarily like look like someone. And she's been on the Olympics. And she was in the stage. Olympics. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I mean, there's that whole side of it too. I think that she was definitely a big part of the UFC's growth. And I think that even if you look at the other women who were kind of with her in that same period of time would have come since then, I just can't imagine no UFC without like, Holly Holm. Holly yeah. Holm has been a draw on her own. Even Chris Cyborg, she's been a draw. Misha Tate was a draw. Yoan and Jacek is very well known. I just can't imagine what those cards would look like. Some of the biggest cards ever in UFC history have had women. women I mean, yeah. UFC 200 was headlined by Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunes. Yeah. UFC 168 with Silva and Weidman. Right under that was Rousey versus yeah. Tate. It's real interesting. I don't know what it would look like. I mean, UFC 196 with Connor and Nate Diaz had Holly Holm versus Misha Tate on, on that card too. It would be a very different looking UFC. And a worse UFC and a UFC that makes less money without the women, I believe. It's so funny. I watched fights with um with my aunt. She has no sort of awareness when it comes to fighting at all. And I recently was like watching Cyborg Nunez fight. My aunt started freaking out because first off, she started freaking out that there were women fighting because I guess she wasn't completely unaware of this. But then when we started watching it, she was just like, why are all these women fights way better than <laughs> the male fight? She's like, I would have never expected that. And, you know, just thought it was so interesting that this woman in her 50s was just like, completely not only unaware but then it can it opened her eyes like seeing these fights and seeing yeah. and i i mean obviously i was shocked by it the cyborg Nunez fight and she just could she was like is this a normal thing that happens <laughs> <laughs> kind of I, yeah <laughs> i wouldn't even say that women's fights are more interesting or better fights quote unquote i think that all fights are good for the most part yeah, all fights are interesting yeah, absolutely. but I think what's interesting about the women is that all of them are, are very much individuals and all of them have are, are much more willing, I think, to show their personalities more so than the men are. That's a general statement. There are plenty yeah. of men who do like to show that and they become and a lot of them become stars. But I think as far as the women goes, like fans get more invested in watching some of the female fighters because they're very active on social media and you get to see their yeah. personalities and get to see yeah. who they are. Whereas some of the it's some so of the men's true. fighters are I, mean, I think a lot of that is that too is like men's fighting has been around longer, whereas women's fighting is like there's there's always kind of a reason why a woman gets into the game, into fighting, and it's much more common with men now. Okay, I'm, I'll be a fighter. Whereas women, like, there's there's always kind yeah. of like a backstory, interesting backstory. You pretty much there. have to make an active choice. It's not like you just yeah. fall. It's not really something yeah. you fall into. Um, exactly. Well, to add to that, as you're saying, you know, for men, it's like, oh yeah, it makes sense. You want to be a fighter because previously male combat sports just so much right. more popular. You know, through wrestling, through judo, through jujitsu, especially, and then with the UFC becoming popular, everyone and boxing. I mean, women's and boxing, boxing yeah. has not as almost never been popular only some 
very small uh, big fights that have happened over over the last it's, like 50 years really yeah it's kind of an interesting parallel how such a young sport as MMA grew up online and it is because there's kind of a normalization on the internet of women in combat sports that there's so many more girls now yeah getting into the fundamental sports that do make up MMA and they're going to be the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Ronda Rousey was a big part of that. I think that I've seen so many women who are even in the UFC right now say my first exposure really to MMA was Ronda Rousey and that was only a few years ago. But that's kind of where it's still like the dawn of women's MMA in many ways, even though there have been women fighting forever. Yeah. I mean, Roxanne Montefiore has been fighting for like 16 years, but this new era of women, a lot of that is owed to, uh, first I would say to Gina Carano and Chris Cyborg, because I, I mean, that fight did incredible numbers on CBS. I mean, that was a telltale sign right there. Like the UFC didn't want women, but he, here is Carano and Cyborg yeah. doing the world a massive number on and also, CBS. Shout out Esterlin for like the best photo of all time. Yes, iconic photo <laughs> of, of Cyborg and Carano. The evidence was already there. The data was there that women's MMA would sell. They just didn't buy into it until Rousey was there. This new era of women, even the ones who are in the UFC now, who only have a few fights or have only been training for you know five years, a lot of that is because of Rousey and in that yeah. group. That was only a few years ago. It seems like maybe a lifetime ago. That was kind of the dawn of our friendship watching those Ronda Rousey fights together. Since that time, seeing how quickly the sport has progressed just skill-wise and seeing what people could do. I remember watching Andrade knock out Carolina. Yeah. Not that that is like the only knockout, obviously, but to me, that was such a shocking knockout because it just seems so normal um, in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of times when people watch women's fighting, they expect it to go to the ground. And sometimes mm -hmm. I find yeah. myself falling into that trap like, oh, you know, like there's no way that this girl's yeah, going to be able to knock Expect yeah, and and, right. and I Especially totally one fifteen. And yeah. I totally didn't even watching fighting for so long and knowing how strong Andrade is, you know, watching that, watching her just blew my mind. It was so yeah. shocking. And to me, it was kind of a good marker in like the timeline of women's MMA to just see like, oh, this is how far we've come. And it's still Every day, almost in its, its infant stages. I mean, the sport itself is kind of in its infant so, stages, yeah. but women's MMA is. Uh, I mean, if you look at the records of all the fighters that the UFC signed to the men's side, yeah, they're you know 10 and 0, 10 and 1, 11 and 2. Those are the records of a lot of fighters that the UFC signs. Of course, that's well, there, even there somebody like Israel who's fought 80 times in kickboxing. You know, there are yeah. very few women, right? You know, but if you look at the records of the women, yeah, the UFC signs. Three and a right. four and one, still very, very new. And it's only going to get better. I mean, I think it's only going to advance yeah. a lot. I mean, you could make the argument that part of the reason why Rousey lost the home and then she lost to Nunez is because the, the game, the game was catching up. You know, the game yeah, was absolutely. catching up. The striking part of the game was catching up. And uh, it's going to continue that way. It's only going to yeah. evolve even more. Do you see the parallels between how the sport evolved from like UFC 1 to Ronda's first fight in UFC? like the technical aspects of it? Oh God, I mean, yeah, so much. I mean, UFC one was like style versus style. Yeah. It was wrestlers versus boxers versus savat kickboxers versus sumo versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And now everyone is pretty good at everything. So it's way different. And I feel like the women's game was only that style versus style yes, I was just, just a few say. years ago. And now everyone is getting good at everything. You look at like Tatiana Suarez, man, she is like the future. She, I mean, obviously wrestling is her style and she's great at that, but she's a freak and in the best way possible. I think she could be, and she's not the champion yet. And I think that Rose Namajunas is, is fantastic, but I think Suarez is kind of like that future type where she, you know, she can do everything and she could also, she excels at one particular thing in a dominant way, but also can beat you in any way. And of course there are ways to, I mean, we do CrossFit and there's a lot of parallels to be drawn if you want to even call CrossFit a sport, at least in the competitive <laughs> levels. I've been doing CrossFit for about seven years and in that short time period, I have seen massive jumps. Like every yeah. few years, you'll see a noticeable difference. And I think it's kind of similar with women's MMA. Yeah. There'll be that fighter that comes along who will do one thing, you know, and you'll see shit. Like, I didn't think that you could connect this and that, or I didn't mm -hmm. think that you could have this sort of combination yeah. in one person. And because of that person kind of makes, what is that saying? Uh, a rising tide. I would say, I would say Donkey and Shevchenko as well. Yeah. She, she kind of ridiculous. sets a standard as to She's what a ridiculous. champion should be. And, you know, everyone is trying to work towards the top of that mountain. And yeah. as they're all working towards, it, I think it kind of makes everybody else better. Do you think the visibility of the sport on the Internet has expedited that evolution in women's MMA and like women's combat sports? I think. It's a combination of different things because I think that you definitely do need to, it's kind of like if you build it, they will come. And I think the UFC and, and Strikeforce before them did that with women's MMA and that has led to growth. Whereas in boxing, very few promoters have given women a chance forever. If they had started back in like the 90s or like late aughts or even in like when the UFC started women, like like in 2013, there'd be much more women's boxing now. It would be better. Do you think it's yeah. because they're waiting for someone? They want to see someone who is worth putting 
just don't care. I just think that it's a very old school mentality in boxing. And they think that women don't sell. But the UFC has literally proven that women don't just right. sell. They sell actually a lot. Yeah. Like one of their biggest stars of all time was a woman. Do you think what can also be helping women's MMA is the fact that like boxing is just a single discipline. And then with MMA in general, you I mean, if you're watching for the first time, you literally don't know what to expect. And there's just so many different ways to go about skinning the cat. I think what you brought up about the internet too is interesting. And it's definitely a factor because I think that the UFC, because it's a promotion and it's almost like, they're almost like a digital media company because they have their whole social media. They have, you know, their website. They have all their platforms, their YouTube. And I think they see the data and they they saw, holy shit, Ronda Rousey is getting a ridiculous amount of like engagement and traffic on the internet that points toward selling pay-per-views yeah. whereas boxing doesn't have promoters like that that's true it's just not like the ufc because there's no there, like unifying sort of body there's no unifying body and, and the promoters are it's very everything is very streamlined you know people are not going like golden boys like website to really read about golden boy or right. their social media look at i mean if you look at the social media of the boxing promoters it's nowhere near what it is with the ufc and i think they saw the traffic i mean we i mean we see traffic on our on our site and some of the women's stuff just get, destroys the men's stuff i mean even on the, the prelims like like the women's interviews and like the stare down and stuff like that will do better on youtube than like the co-main event of the fight night there is interest i mean look and part of that sadly is is aesthetic it is it is well, a, yeah. a looks thing yeah. but i don't think those fighters are unaware of that as well i mean no, we're I talking mean, about look, it in like a cheeky way i don't think any woman is kind of unaware of that no yeah. i remember the watching the first big promo for misha and ronda and seeing yeah. and that was totally overly sexualized but oh me yeah. as a woman part of that really drew me in because i was so shocked that you know there could be like this duality this like mm-hmm. sexy feminine side but also this i'm gonna rip your head off and take your arm yeah. home sort yeah. of side so i think there's you know everyone's kind of aware of that which is not uh, yeah thing. and it's a line it's a fine line and you don't want to go over that line and yeah. just make it about you don't want to go back to like wwe like in the 90s where it's like bra and panties yeah. matches yeah. You know, you want to respect them as athletes. And and I think for the most part, the UFC has done that. Um, although I guess some of the promos from that, that tough 20 season with the straw weights were kind of like. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, my favorite one is a Rose Emma Yunus where she's like, she's in her tough uniform and then yeah. she does like a roundhouse and then suddenly she's in the dress and her yeah, yeah, hair is yeah, all yeah. made That's up. exactly what I was thinking of. That, yeah. was a, that was a great promo. I saw this. I'm like, yeah, girl power. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. I think for the most part, they've done a respectful job of it. It's funny how there's a whole demographic, that being women, that is often so overlooked. You know, it's not even, women, us women are not even really counted in the demographics, whereas if you actually focus on that sort of the business, I mean, like you said, it's here now, so there's something to kind of work off of. You can't just create something from nothing. But it's funny how that audience is almost overlooked in a lot of ways. When Mm -hmm. I mean, not that it's all about ad dollars or whatever, but you could be making so much. I would think that there's a lot of money left on the table not addressing that audience. You know, it seems like such an easy thing to do. And I think that the audience that that watches women's MMA now is still 90% male or 80% male. I think the addition of women to the UFC and, and the popularity of women to the UFC has not necessarily, maybe it has been, they've seen like a little bit of an uptick in yeah. actual women watching, but there's still, there's not a lot of women watching MMA. There's just not, someone posted a graphic on Twitter and I, I forget who it was, I, I wanna give them credit, but I, it might've been Jedi Goodman on Twitter who posted like a graphic of like ESPN's ratings. I think it was on the, uh, from the prelims last week, the UFC 234 card. And it was basically like after college basketball was over, oh, like yeah. all the women turned off the UFC prelims. Like as soon as the, the basketball game was over, oh, no. oh fighting turned it. I mean, it was like wow, wow. a steep drop off. Like they, cause you retain a lot of that audience, like the lead in. Yeah. The women all turned off the UFC. So how do you, how do you change that? I don't know. You got to put Paulo know. Costa on like the prelims or something. But who? Paulo Costa. Yeah, more Holocaust. Yeah, more Israel Adesanya. More Israel Adesanya. Yeah, I mean, look, it's there has to be a better way to get women to be engaged. It's it's not easy. But the more I think about that Rose Namajunas tough promo, I feel like it would almost be better if advertisements kind of embrace that these are women; they have boobs, like they are sexual beings, (laughs) but they're also fighters. I think in a weird way, it might attract the women that are turning it off because to them they're like the other like oh that yeah. fighting thing that's over there that's not me you know but maybe seeing them in a dress they realize oh 
it's like a normal woman. Yeah. I'm like and that. I really appreciate the fact that the ladies really embrace their femininity. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you see the talking heads, they're always dressing up. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like MMAfighting.com should have like a who wore it best. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's Dapper Scrappers, uh, Joseph yeah. Benavides, his uh, Instagram and that whole that whole thing, I think is great. You know, Super taking photos of all the, all the fighters at Media Day. Yeah, it's, it's really great. The uh, fashion and style in MMA has like upgraded about 10 million times since like oh yeah 2008 since in the last 10 years where it was all like affliction shirts and tap out <laughs> shirts and like board shorts now there's some pretty pops. good fits like yeah. some of them yeah now now they're looking good immediately and i mean that is important i mean yeah. if you want to be treated like a professional and be appealing to these different sponsors yeah. and to these you know different opportunities you have to look the part and, and it's uh, another way yeah. to see the fighter personalities. I know Shevchenko, when they were fighting in Texas, she was wearing like this whole Texas getup. I love it so much. Yeah. But somebody asked her, you know, why are you dressed like this? And she was like, oh, it's like to pay like homage to Texas because I yeah. feel like it's my home. And it's a good way yeah. to kind of get her story yeah. out and see that other aspect of her personality that maybe you wouldn't necessarily see. It's a good kind of calling card, I think, yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Like you, like Scott Holtzman was on was on this UC Phoenix card and uh, his media day outfits are like straight out of like Miami Vice. Like he like he rocked the Miami Vice suits. Well, like, like Hawaiian Olivia Oban Mercier, like yeah. his get-ups are incredible. Although I do see kind of a, a counter argument to that. It's like, oh, well, it's fighting. Like we shouldn't be, it's across the board for all women's sports. Like we shouldn't be sexualizing them. We should be respecting them for their athletic capabilities, etc. But I think what Dapper Scrappers does really well is that because it's both men and women mm-hmm. and like people yeah. of media as well sometimes, I think the sport should really embrace that dual for both genders. I agree because it's it's entertainment at the end of the day. I mean, it's entertainment. It's a sport, but it's much more entertainment than other sports because yeah. I think we've kind of crossed the threshold into just you know people have to accept like the yeah. media is just as much a part of uh, it's the entertainment as the- so like if Kevin Durant can as long as he continues his his level of play and how good he is and, and how much he helps his team win he's going to get the most possible money that there is in the NBA yeah. in MMA I think he actually like literally that. recently said something like that. Maybe. Like all I do I is like, all know. I have to do is come out here and play. Like that's my job. My job is not here right. to address you guys. No, it doesn't matter. The off the court stuff could help him get more endorsements, could help him get sponsors, but he's still gonna make like thirty million dollars a year from his yeah. employer. From, from his from employer. NBA. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. In the in MMA, you can be the best fighter in the world, Demetrius Johnson, and make okay money. But if no one wants to watch you fight, or if not enough people want to watch you fight, then you're not going to be able to crack into that upper echelon. And I, I don't mean to single out DJ, but that's just how it goes yeah, in the sport. It's, yeah. it's entertainment yeah. because Kevin Durant's not trying to sell pay-per-views to you. It's a blessing and a curse depending on your personality for sure. But in yeah. terms of actual addressing the media, it's 100, but it's always going to be. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't even, I don't even care about the media, but you need to do something that makes you stand out. That makes people want to actually yeah. watch you. That wants to get invested in, in who you are and, and, and what, and yeah, become a fan of you. And, and a lot of fighters aren't into it. And I understand that because they feel like they're professional athletes like an MLB player or, or an NFL player where they do their job, they win, they get paid. But you can make a lot more money if you also Sell yourself. do. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the entertainment business. On Who bought the UFC? Entertainment <laughs> a, company. The freaking Hollywood talent agency. Yeah. I mean, this is not, this is not, this is not hard stuff. I mean, yeah. this is, yeah. this is just, that's just what it is. They're selling pay-per-views. I mean, Nadia and I talk about this quite often because my example that I always use in terms of like media stuff is Robbie Lawler, one of my favorites mm-hmm. fighting yep. soon, obviously. Yeah. He's super exciting and he's a poster boy for not talking basically, but his excitement comes in the cage. And so that's why he pretty much doesn't have to say anything because no matter what, you know, when you watch a Robbie Lawler fight, there is going to be some hands thrown. And a lot of fighters, I'm not saying that they're more or less interesting than Robbie, but if you don't, if you're not putting on exciting fights like that, it behooves you to kind of be out there and create some sort of brand for yourself. I'm going to play devil's advocate there. Do it, yeah. People don't buy fights because they're because fights are exciting or fighters are exciting. A fighter has never been a top draw because they were exciting in the history of the sport. Because in order to cross over and get that casual audience, it doesn't matter if you're exciting or not. Yeah, George yeah. St. Pierre, yeah, for the end, he was doing great numbers, but his fights were not great. Yeah. 
but he was able to get that casual interest because, and maybe he, he wasn't the biggest trash talker, but he had a certain charisma about him. Very good looking guy, mm -hmm. which is also very important. Even with, even with the males in MMA, being good looking is important. You have to hurt. look the yeah. part. Yeah. If you're handsome, guys won't admit that, but you'd much rather look at a handsome guy who has like a six pack than like Roy Every, Nelson. Yeah. Like no offense <laughs> to Roy that's Nelson, but that's just how it goes. Even for men, it's just an aesthetic yeah. thing. You know, it's like- You want to look at you well. You, you want to kind of- I do all day. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Like all day. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean that's just how it is. If, if you look the part, if you look like a star, I mean that's how that's how professional wrestling is done. And forever, yeah. they recognize what makes a, a good-looking guy Finn Balor. with a great with like a great physique. You know, big muscles, tall. Great that's charisma. The guy, that's, yeah. yeah, that's the guy that's gonna get pushed to the main event. And MMA is more like pro wrestling than MMA is like any other sport. It's yeah. more like pro wrestling than boxing. It's more like pro wrestling than the NBA. And it's- it, it, And actual wrestling. It's more it's more like pro wrestling than actual wrestling. It's, <laughs> it's it, they're, they're, like, they're like close cousins as far as yeah. like the business model is yeah. very similar. I know a lot of MMA fans hate that and then don't and don't want to admit that, but it's true. The business no, no, model is, is the same thing. You're selling There's a lot of reasons why people don't like Chael either, but you know, haters gonna hate. Yeah, but Chael also he understood. made a ridiculous he, amount of money yeah. for himself and the UFC without actually winning a big fight. <laughs> I mean Okay, hey, he was without without actually Chael winning a title. Is undefeated. He is never lost a round. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But that man, the charisma. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a reason why he's on ESPN. Like the oh, yeah, yeah, there is I mean, a reason. Yeah, he can yeah. sell. He can sell a fight. The thing about Chael is that him losing was actually better because he's the heel. People want people want to pay to see him lose. Look, I watched Guess a what? minute video of him talking about somebody stealing change from his car. Yeah, I mean his his charisma is off the charts, and and he took that directly. He's a wrestling fan. He took yeah. that directly from pro wrestling. I mean, so did Conor McGregor. Ronda Rousey is literally in pro wrestling now. Yeah. So is Brock Lesnar. The biggest stars in the, in the history of the sport in terms of draws have had some kind of relationship with pro wrestling. Well, okay. Going back to boxing, Muhammad Ali, he was the first person to bring like trash talk yeah. to combat sports. Do you know where he took that from? He lifted the entire shtick from Gorgeous George, who was like one of the top wrestlers of the day in the 50s. He went to Gorgeous George's matches. He took, he's like, man, people are really, really want to see you get beat. And people are paying money. 20,000 people are in this in this <laughs> right. stadium to see you get beat. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna use that. So what you're saying is combat sports should not shy away from pro professional wrestling. Not, if they, not if they want to make money. <laughs> not if they want to make money. Not if they want to make money. It's the, it's the same deal. Muhammad Ali, he was yeah. the king of trash talk. He took it from Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George was like the flamboyant heel of his day in the 50s and you know selling out stadiums everywhere especially here in LA he was huge like I'm, I'm so pretty that's he took that from gorgeous George I think a lot of women are kind of I mean you don't really see that a lot these days which I think um could be an air, area to improve on I mean Joanna obviously even with her oh, she knows mm -hmm. how to play yeah she, she definitely knows she, she stands out to me as somebody who really knows how to like play that game with no, no matter what she does she's kind of every time she's in the media she's working towards building her brand um, yes 100 I'm sure she's, she has a ton of sponsors I mean yeah ton, ton of sponsors she definitely doesn't shy away from it and I think you know more the more that women do that the more mm -hmm. um, kind of more general media outlets also pick them up as well right and just to be clear you don't you don't necessarily have to talk trash yeah no, just you just need to be entertained Authentic also. Yeah. yeah, authentic and entertaining. You need to take your personality and turn it up to like 11, pretty yeah. much. That's that's what you have to do it's if you true. want to sell the most. It's not about talking trash because not everyone is going to be good at that. George St. Pierre was not good at talking trash, yeah. but he still sold a ton of pay-per-views in his day. One of the most consistent pay-per-view sellers in UFC history, if not the most consistent. Well, I think it's also about period of time. building the story around you. Yeah, you know that, like, the story. When we have people come over to watch fights at our house, there are a few of our friends who are very deep into the history and mm -hmm. they know these things. And so they, you can watch these moments and they kind of know what these moments mean. But for the more casual fans that are over, part of the big thing that we have to do is explain is, it a little is bit. Is explain yeah. it and, yeah. and break it down and, and break down like why this this face-off means something. Why yes, these yeah. people meeting actually mean something? And I think that, you know, to your point, it's not that you have to go out there and talk trash, but just let people know who you are. Yeah. The story. It's what all about storytelling. Yeah. Yes. And yes. the more that people know about you, the more they're going to, and it's not even necessarily that they're going to root for you to beat the other person. It's just, they want you to succeed. And the more that people yes. care about you, the more that they're going to kind of do some digging and they start to figure out, I mean, even in the research for this podcast, we've been reading so many, so many stories about so many different types of people. We're like continuously surprised. Like, oh man, I didn't even know this thing, you know, mm -hmm. and then going into the next fight, right. you become more and more excited and you kind of, I don't just, know. Yeah. There's like an added layer of 
how you enjoy and how you experience yeah. what you're watching. It's also fascinating when more casual people come over and like watch the fights with us and you explain to them kind of the background. They're like, whoa, it's so it's not just errant fighting. Right. Like, there's a structure. There is like a merit based system. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the storytelling aspect is really important and it's it's a constant struggle for the UFC because when you do 40 plus shows per year, it's, hard it's to. impossible to highlight all of those five. I mean, you can't even highlight all those main events, let alone the people on the undercard. And the storytelling is really a big part of getting people invested in the product. And if you're not telling the stories about who these people are and they're just fights and we don't know why they're fighting, we don't know who they are, it's just a fight, people are not going to watch. And I think in the in the Fox Sports era, you know, you saw ratings go down pretty much every year from the beginning to the end, and and it got bad at the end in the last last you know year and a half. There just wasn't enough telling people like, okay, here's who these people are. This is why they're fighting. It's more like, okay, here's just two generic fighters out there, and and it yeah. sucks because they're people and they're getting into a fight and it's dangerous work. They're not getting paid that much. They're they're risking life and limb. But there's not that kind of tie, that investment in these people from fans because either they're not telling their own stories or the UFC's not telling their stories or a combination of both. And it's just not enough to make people want to watch it. People are never going to watch fighting the way they watch the NBA or the NFL or MLB because like I grew up in New York. My grandfather was a Mets fan. My dad was a Mets yeah. fan. I'm a Mets fan and I'm going to follow the Mets now. My entire life, I'm going to go to games. I'm going to buy tickets. I'm going to watch on TV. That's going to go to their ratings. That doesn't exist in MMA. Yeah. There's no geographical tie to yes. anyone for the most part. The only way to get people invested, make them invested in the, in the fighter and in who that person is. And that's what the biggest stars have done so well. Do you think there is kind of a subconscious fear that people have that are involved with MMA and the combat sports about fully embracing this professional wrestling, building your brand, being very vocal. The, the fear is that by embracing that, you're kind of delegitimizing your sport. I think there's a stigma against it, but I think people don't know the history. Like we were just talking about Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Everyone thinks he's the greatest of all time. Everyone's wearing his Root to Fight t-shirt. Even the most like purest of pure MMA fighters are like, I don't want to do any of this trash, trash talk. I mean, what are you talking about? This is what that guy did. I mean, he did do a lot more things that made him great, you know, standing up for what he believed in, you know, on and on and on. But he embraced that. And again, it doesn't have to be like this over the top, crazy trash yeah, yeah, talk. Yeah, naturally. I wouldn't even say it's like pro wrestling, but it's an entertainment medium. It's the same thing as, you know, it's television. It's, it's showbiz. Do you think the UFC or whatever organization, you know, is obligated to educate them? more on how to do that successfully. Yeah, and I think I think when they do like their fighter summits, I think they do that. They have PR and marketing talk to fighters about, you know, what to do better, how to do better on social media. For a while, uh, for a few years, the UFC was like giving bonuses for like best social media and stuff like that. They stopped oh. doing that. That was probably like in like 20, like 2011, 2012. And, and the oh. UFC could do a better job pumping up fighter social media. If you look at like WWE and you look at all of their wrestlers on social media, they have way more followers than yeah. UFC fighters. Do. Is that because WWE is a lot more popular worldwide than UFC? Part of yeah, that is yeah. yes, but they can do a better job building those stars, certainly. Uh, and everyone is different. It's not like a catch-all formula. Every single person, every single fighter, is. there's a different way to help maximize that potential. And I think that's the hard part in a lot of ways is just giving each yeah, person it is that. Hard. Yeah, you know, it is And obviously hard. not everyone's going to get equal sort of attention, but just trying to get the necessary attention to those people and having a very specific program for that person, yeah. I think is the challenge, definitely. Do you think for WWE, the way they have managed to build stars and build storylines, it was a lot easier for them to do that because there was no internet. And so they were kind of fully in control of the narratives that were being built. And now the fact that anyone can put anything out there, that makes it harder. Like it's both great for the sport, for such a young sport to have that kind of permeability across the globe. But at the same time do you think it kind of limits because there's just so many people and so many purveyors that it's harder to I don't know keep track of what each fighter is doing what each individual is doing I think so and I think that it's also in, in many ways it's easier for WWE even in the internet age because I mean everything is predetermined I mean they, yeah. they have they hold all the cars they hold all the chips in some ways the UFC does that too because they have all almost all the best fighters in the world and they have the platforms for them they have some of those advantages too but WWE has more of them because again, they control all aspects of it, including who wins and who loses. And that's a big deal. Even like say someone like Ben Astrin, who he's never fought in the UFC. Yeah. Best never, Twitter game ever. Never <laughs> fought. He's never fought in the UFC. He is not an exciting fighter. How not an exciting you? fighter. <laughs> 
I enjoy I enjoy watching yeah. a fight, but I'm also like I've been I, I love this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, this is what yeah. I do. I even thought the MVP versus Daily fight was good, and everyone was crapping on it on Twitter. <laughs> and I was like, I actually I actually really enjoyed that that chess match. Anyway, so Ben Askren, no one's ever seen him fight in the UFC. It, even he hasn't fought in the United States since he was in Bellator, right? <laughs> Yet people like people are so stoked to people see go this to guy. For him in the comments. People are so yeah. stoked to see this guy fight because of what he's built on social media and what he's built in like press conferences. I saw he posted, he had more views on his Joe Rogan podcast than GSP did. Oh yeah. It was like 20 3 million. Yeah. I mean, he's made people care and uh man, making people care good or bad, whether they want to, yeah. excuse me, want to see you win or want to see you get your ass kicked. Colby. That is huge. Well, Colby kind of crosses over into that. Like, so over the top that I'm like kind of tuning you out stuff. It's like Ben Askren is being Ben Askren. Yeah. Whereas Colby, like, you know, that Colby's. Okay. But you know, I thought that that was like a bad thing. His whole character. You know, Colby? I, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, no, I think, I think that he, I think people can see through that he's. But in a way it's really helpful because it's so cringeworthy that you yeah. end up it watching it over it. And you end up giving it this like attention. Like yeah. sometimes I find myself looking through his Instagram and I'm like, right. why am I, I'm just helping yeah, him. Yeah. What well, am I doing? His well, most I think, recent video. That well, I think, um, I think Woodley versus uh, Covington actually would have done, would have done good numbers. Even me I too. I would have. I think it might've ventured into some kind of unsavory areas of promotion, but I think it would have done, I think it would have done good numbers. It's entertaining. It, it, yeah. At least at the very, very minimum, it's entertaining. Yeah. I mean, and Colby can fight. I mean, lowest like common I mean yes, of course, yeah, he's a yeah. great fighter. It's kind of lowest con common denominator uh, entertainment, but this is MMA. Entertainment nonetheless. This is cage, this is cage fighting. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, the sport will ever find a balance. I, it's still so young. So like, you know, all these things that we're saying right now, it's because yeah. we have breadth of other more established sports to draw upon and their journeys. But MMA is so unique. Since it's not really an individual discipline, unlike most other popular mm -hmm. sports, do you think in the future there will ever be a balance between that? Much like how people balanced out their fighting skills in the cage. The thing, the thing about it would be it needs to get off pay per view. That would be that would be like the first big step toward being more of a merit based mm -hmm. system where mm -hmm. you know fighters are not thought of always as entertainers because. The UFC, there's a lot of incentive for them to sell pay-per-views. And that's why they make decisions they do in terms of matchmaking and who's fighting who. That's just how it is. They need to make the most possible money. It's a business. It's capitalism. For better or worse, that's that's where we're at. So now if they if they were at the point where they made great money off of this ESPN broadcast deal, but if they're able to make enough money just on broadcast deals and like UFC fight pass, then they wouldn't need to necessarily try to sell so hard fighters and fights and pay-per-views. So that could be something in the future. But I mean, they, even though the, the pay-per-view numbers have dropped, the big pay-per-views still do really well and still make the profit margin on them is so high that I don't see them giving up on pay-per-view anytime soon. But within the next five years, I mean, it's it's possible. Do you think the- but then, but then they also, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but then they also need ratings to stay up. In order to get ratings, you still need to yeah. have compelling fighters with- you know, stories and, you know, that kind of, that yeah. kind of thing. What I was going to say is, do you think the pay-per-view model takes away a little bit from, you know, like us being part of the community, trying to really normalize the sport and trying to like destigmatize it? Because when you think pay-per-view, you think, oh, something very special, something right. very unique and idiosyncratic. And, you know, we're trying to be like, no, fighting is totally normal. Like combat sports, it's not so barbaric. It's not crazy. It's just like watching soccer or yeah. watching whatever, even though like you just said, like pay-per-view makes them a lot of money. But do you think that sticking to that model actually hurts a little bit in trying to normalize the sport? Normalizing is a weird way because I feel like it's fairly normal now. It's on ESPN, it's on SportsCenter. But I think what pay-per-view could end up be doing, which could hurt the UFC is that, like you said, that pay-per-view should be special. And if yeah. you're gonna pay 65 bucks or 70 bucks, it should be a special event. And that's one of the main criticisms of where boxing was like in the 90s, and the early aughts and the mid aughts, whereas like they were putting all these fights on pay per view, and people really didn't want to, they weren't big deals. There was there weren't there weren't a lot of yeah. draws. Promoters still made money on pay per view because it costs you know X amount, but were they growing the sport that way? No, they weren't. And now we've seen growth in boxing. Now that it's gone back to hey, there are fights on ESPN, there are fights on Fox, there are fights on FS1, there are, fight, there are fights on Spike TV, yeah. HBO, Showtime. And now there are less pay-per-views, but boxing is in a much better state as a sport. 
sport than it was like eight years ago and to the point where boxing is really intriguing again i mean and people and care now people care about yeah. boxing and now you can put the big fights on pay-per-view and it'll do it'll do good numbers in an ideal world if the ufc had like six to eight pay-per-views per year i think that would be really great and those would sell really really well but the problem i don't know if you want to call it a problem it's not a problem for them the, the issue is that even when they do a pay-per-view that does like a hundred thousand pay-per-view buys where it's just not well watched they still make a lot of money on it i mean i guess you could say for the future growth of the sport they could punt pay-per-view and, and go to a more of a tv or, or a digital model kind of like wwe did wwe i think it was like four or five years ago now they took all their pay-per-views and they put them on their network and just say hey subscribe to this no more, no more pay-per-view pay just pay 10 bucks a month for wwe network and that hurt them initially they lost a ton of money in the first yeah. like year year and a half um they did that because they were losing you know they were still making money on pay-per-view i mean wrestlemania a lot of people watch that every year and now you can just get it for 10 bucks a month and then cancel it after wrestlemania which a lot of people did so uh that hurt them but now wwe is enormous to the point where i feel like it's had like a huge resurgence in the last yeah, few I mean, years they're more i mean they're making more money than they ever have ever and they just kicked the ufc's ass in the in the tv deal i mean they got substantially more money from both fox and and nbc universal which owns usa network for their shows coming up this year they beat ufc handily part of that could be that they came on pay-per-view and the ratings are actually the worst they've ever been yet there's such a a need and a want from from networks for live sporting events or, or live entertainment that they're just paying through the nose for these things i mean ratings are, are bad like the wwe ratings are not good compared to where they were like even like 10 years ago but it's something for the network but it's still yeah. good ratings yeah. for the for the network because it's it's a live event it's easy to sell you know sponsor wise you know for for live television the ufc has that ability too i mean there it's live it's live programming there's a lot of volume there's a lot of fights yeah so that's also i mean they did great too of course they made a ton of money i think i think um so that was a five-year deal with espn right i believe the broadcast deal i think that they will keep pay-per-view through this five-year stretch with ESPN. And then depending on where, I mean, the whole industry could be different, all these digital, you know, mediums coming through. Then I think they could make a decision about whether or not to keep or reduce or get rid of pay-per-view altogether. It'll be a different uh, world then in, in five years. But I think until then, they're going to keep pay-per-view. It's hard to find the balance between the yeah. pay-per-view and like you said, yeah. there's just, and there's just so many fights. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what I would do. Too many. There's a lot of fights and and, and oversaturation is, is, a, is a real problem. It really is. Yeah, no. Absolutely. And and like you guys were saying, just pay-per-views should be special. And I think the more diluted they I mean, not this is not to say that they're bad. The cards have been bad, but you know, yeah. for the average person who isn't totally obsessed with it, you can't watch everything. And to yeah. pay so 65 bucks every time you want to watch something that you're hearing is supposed right. to be a good fight. I don't know. It's kind of a lot to, to gamble. Uh, yeah. I mean, ratings went down in FS1 and the same thing is happening with WWE. Ratings are down, but because they present this live sporting event almost on a weekly basis. I mean, WWE does five hours of television a week and the UFC probably does like seven almost every week. Almost every week is a UFC card on FS1. Now it's, yeah, on, yeah. now it's on ESPN or ESPN Plus. Even though ratings are actually going down, the money that they're making on these TV deals are, are going way up because there is that desire for that product, especially hitting that those demographics and everything like that. So, and it's the same argument. Are they growing the sport? No, there are less people watching WWE now than they there were 20 years ago, but WWE is making way more money than they were 20 years ago, right. more money than they were five so years ago. And the UFC, that. same thing. I mean, the UFC yeah. is making more money, but there are probably fewer people watching now than we're watching like 2012 or, or, or I mean, especially like 20, yeah. like 2015, 2016, when that was that those those two golden years. Amazing time. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I, can, good old days. I can trace back like where everything went wrong in society to a certain <laughs> head kick. <laughs> Heard around the world. Yeah. I have yeah. one question yes. to ask you, though. Kind of rewinding back to how we were talking about uh, Cyborg and Gina Carano. Like you said, the numbers show that there was like a huge interest in what they were doing. Yeah. Uh -huh. Why do you think Rhonda was Rhonda? You know, like why? Why didn't Gina? I mean, Gina's also still very popular. Like she was well, Steven Soderbergh's muse. Oh yeah, she was in Hey Wire. She's in Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. Come oh yeah. yeah. She, come so on. it's like it's not to say that she didn't, you know, like yeah, get through that membrane into the mass consumption but before Rhonda it's it's like before the birth of Christ and after birth <laughs> of Christ <laughs> uh I think that the, the thing that Rhonda had that Gina didn't have was that people either loved or hated 
Rhonda. Oh, no one really yes. hated Gina. That's true. Very true. Very Whereas true. a lot of people who she was watched Ronda yeah. Rousey's fights, I mean, half the people, maybe even more than that, wanted to see her get beat up. That's the kind of personality that she had. She was very in your face and abrasive while also still being an attractive woman, while also being a fantastic athlete, while also being a really entertaining fighter. Just being entertaining does not sell. Being yeah. entertaining with all those other things, her, her fights were an event. People because, booed her when oh, she yeah. won. <laughs> People boot her when they, yeah. yeah, when she won, when she didn't shake like Misha's hand, like that's like heel, that's heel stuff. You know, you use the pro wrestling terminology and people yeah. say like, well, this is this is real fighting. Pro wrestling terminology is, is we're talking about business. You know, we're not talking yeah. about what actually happened in the fight. We're talking about business and that's business. I mean, her not shaking Misha's hand was actually great. Yeah, for business. it was amazing. <laughs> Do you think Ronda kind of teasing that like pro wrestling, her nickname? Rowdy, like yeah, just teasing yeah. that connection with pro wrestling actually also benefited WWE. Yeah, I mean, I think on both sides, there are a lot of borrowing and, and sharing between industries. Yeah. Conor McGregor's out there doing Vince McMahon's strut. Yeah. I mean, that's something that Vince McMahon did in the 90s, you know, and he and he's co-opted it. Muhammad Ali used Gorgeous George's, you know, yeah. try his inspiration. Ronda Rousey was a wrestling fan and she used a lot of that as inspiration too. Brock Lesnar does both sports. Yeah. I mean, there's a relationship there. To deny that is crazy. But I think that the key is to do it without people realizing that you're bringing your that you're wrestling doing it, yeah. MMA, and that's that's the, that's the key. It's really interesting to me that you said like all these people that managed to build a presence like Ronda and Connor, mm -hmm. um, even Colby, Muhammad Ali. The uniting factor across the board is that they borrowed from pro wrestling, yeah. even Chael. And then like you see, you know, I think especially Chael. Especially Chael. <laughs> well, if you look at the biggest draws in UFC history, there's Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar. And then I guess next would be like GSP probably, who didn't really borrow anything from pro yeah. wrestling. I don't know. Like, even though he didn't really talk much, just like you said, that yeah. you don't necessarily have to like trash talk. You can still be silent and say yes. like, like with Habib and Connor, we saw GSP, GSP was the ultimate babyface. I mean, yeah. he was like, if you're talking about pro wrestling terms, he was, you know, he was the babyface Canadian hero, which I mean, old school wrestling, like you didn't really need to talk trash you you know if you were the hero you don't talk trash yeah. you know you're there's already a yeah. narrative built so it's, that. it's the same it's the same business except in one of them the fights are real and one of them the fights are predetermined it's the same business the same concept of why people watch and when the Fertitta brothers bought the UFC it's no surprise that they designed the business model exactly like Vince McMahon does did for WWE yeah, it's the yeah. exact same thing pay-per-views yeah. in boxing it was always like this is the main event we're only going to promote the main event the main event is the big fight in, in WWE it was always like oh here's like a main card of like five or six matches and we're going to promote them all and they're all going to have their own little storylines. The UFC is exactly like WWE when they, when yeah. they built that in 2000, 2001. The business model is exactly the same and the concept exactly the same because you're trying to sell a fighter or you're trying to sell a wrestler yeah. or you're trying to sell a match, you're trying to sell a fight. The same thing. So in your educated professional opinion, how do you think UFC, Bellator, etc. can take all of those things and make it much more palatable and inviting for a female audience? It's a good question. And WWE is still very male dominated very male dominated maybe not as much as MMA is but there's still uh, you mean like competitor wise or audience no wise? audience audience wise, wise, audience right? wise I think um, I don't know the exact demographics but I, I still think it's very heavily skewed toward males same as MMA maybe just a little bit less although what what is interesting is that apparently in Japan, in New Japan pro wrestling, it's more like 60-40 male to, male to female mm -hmm. as far as like interest in wrestling. And I was just in Tokyo, you know, last month and the crowd at the Tokyo Dome for New Japan's big show, there was a lot of women, much more women than you'd see like in an MMA crowd or in pro wrestling crowd here in the States. So I don't know how you quite capture that. It's It may just be a cultural thing. You know, I think the UFC does try, you know, send fighters to go on like, you know, morning shows or like late night TV. I think they do try to bring women in. I think the sport itself keeps women out. And I think that some of the rhetoric in the sport kind of keeps women out. And it's hard, it's hard to change that overnight. Which is weird because when you look at like other female sports, soccer, WNBA, et cetera, it's really in female competitors are kind of held in the same regard as the yeah. male competitors. It's like easy to observe, but I feel that there's not really a push to capitalize on that and advertise that to recruit female audience members. It's yeah. Like, you know, considering there's this whole female empowerment moving going on. In that same respect, WWE is trying to do this whole 
all a women's evolution thing. And actually, women are not watching more. Like the, the demographics have not changed at all. Even with this push to, I mean, the main event of WrestleMania this year could be Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch versus yeah. Charlotte Flair, the first ever WrestleMania uh, women's main event ever. It has not really made more women watch for whatever reason. And maybe it still will because it's still new. And, and you know, this is yeah. uh, kind of a new thing. But also to tie it all together, the reason why WWE has kind of went full force into women and, and women's wrestling, whereas it was kind of treated as like an undercard, like yeah. kind of a joke before, because Ronda Rousey. Right. So what Ronda Rousey did, not even her being in WWE, they saw yeah. her, what she was able to do and how much money she was able to make in the UFC. And Vince McMahon and, and the people in WWE were like, WWE were like, wow, so women could actually be top of the card draws. Again, numbers are down, but Becky Lynch is like maybe the biggest star in, in, in WWE right now. So it's uh, it's it's interesting um, to see to see where we're at. Numbers have not gone up with her as being like a big feature of the shows, but they aren't going up with anyone else's big. I mean, they're just going down, period. So it's a it's a really interesting uh, dynamic right now with, with television and ratings and pay-per-view numbers. So many things are changing also in terms of like, the, the world is changing. Yeah. yeah. I'm like like a slow burn question asker. <laughs> I, I like I have like some final thoughts though. Yes, if you yes, don't mind. Yes. Speaking again, you know, to the structure of how it is like the pay-per-view and the oversaturation of cards and events that the, do happen. Do you think if the UFC try to, this is not to say like we're UFC centric, but the UFC is kind of like the main platform of that course. involves the sport. So to that merit, if they try to kind of change the formula, like Bellator did their tournament and Victa yeah. did some tournaments. Do you think if the UFC did a few pay-per-views, you know, like really truly make them special. It's like how you had your fantasy all women's Right. tournament card yeah. do you think that could help doing things differently well first of all is that what's that whole like that saying like if you, if if you continue doing well no if you continue yeah. doing the same things then nothing will you know yes. yeah. cancel things to, to change different things are, are are definitely good but like you were gonna say ufc is doing very well right now so why you know they're, why they're change it and they hit they hit all those male demographics that their that their sponsors love and i don't see that there's like a, a huge effort to try to get more female fans i don't think they're like actively trying to turn away female fans mm -hmm. either but I think that they are pretty good with where they're at and, and probably just know that there are limitations of their product as far as whether yeah. women are going to watch or not. And I mean, like, it makes sense. You can't really fault them for doing that because it's a private business so they can do whatever they think is right for their bottom line. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, as a fan, you can't help but want them to take a little risk, you know? Mm -hmm. UFC used to be the platform and the promotion that continuously pushed the sport forward. Yeah. After Ronda, after Connor, it's just kind of even think out. I think what happened, what happened with the UFC is that they stopped being the platform to push the sport further and started being the platform to just make as much money for themselves mm -hmm. as they possibly yeah. can. Which, understandable. Which is, that's just, yeah. that's America. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, capitalism. Yeah, that's, you know, for, for all it's, it's, it's pros and cons and that, and you can't really fault them for that. When the Fertitas decided they were going to sell, they started making decisions that were going to benefit their walls. And it did. Endeavor is not going to change that. Endeavor didn't yeah. buy the UFC to grow the sport. Yeah, they, they bought the UFC to grow financially for themselves. So they're not going to take, although they, you know, they've done, they've made investments that don't have like immediate. Uh, yeah, exactly. Immediate payoff, like building the UFC performance Institute. That's really expensive. There's a, there's, full-time employees they give fighters everything for free there's no return on that investment immediately but they're hoping for a return on that investment in the future as far as better you know better more healthy fighters and more um, long term yes more, way yeah. yeah in the future it's 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 an investment so they are still making investments in the sport they're building a pi in in shanghai so they're trying to they are still making investments in the sport just maybe not as much as they did in because, 2006 yeah. and 2000 right. 10. That was all that um, I had. Right. Um, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Ooh, promote? I don't know. We've been talking for a long time. Don't worry. We're going to uh, edit all of this. And yeah. Promote MMAfighting.com. You can check out the A-side with uh, me and Sean Al-Shadi on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Also on the MMA Fighting YouTube page and social media at M-A-R-C underscore R-A-I-M-O-N-D-I on Twitter. And Instagram is Mark Raymondi. MMA. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> very, very good time. I talk a lot. We all talk a lot. It's good to have someone else to talk a lot. That is not us. <laughs> I'm more than happy to jump on that, on that story. Well, so. awesome. Thank all you right. so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cage Free Chicks. If you want to know more about us, slide into our DMs on Instagram and Twitter at Cage Free Chicks. 
C-H-I-X. Also, please download, share, and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to be our next guest, you can reach us by email, cagefreechicks, C-H-I-X, at gmail.com. Until next time.